Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Today on the Optus Sport Football Podcast, I'm joined by Spanish football expert Phil Kitramelides and presenter Kelly Summers, where we discuss Arsenal's response to their VAR drama, Emma Hayes departing Chelsea, and can Girona do a Leicester City? I'm Mark Schwarzer, and this is the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Phil Kitramelides. Phil, have you recovered from our adventures last weekend as yet? Uh, you mean our magical weekend away, Mark, in Barcelona and Manchester in 24 hours, El Clasico and Manchester derby? Uh, just about. I got a little bit ill, actually, um, oh, after no. it. I, I don't know if it was maybe sort of withdrawal symptoms not being with you, but yeah, I had a bit of a, a, bit of a, a, a cough all week, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm okay. I'm battling on and yeah, really enjoyed it and hope, hope people enjoyed watching what we got up to as well. Yeah, I think you're a little bit sensitive, aren't you? Because I mean, you missed the Mid- Madrid derby because you're a little bit ill. Now you're a little bit ill again. Anyway. Yes. Yes. Oh. <laughs> I'm a massive hypochondriac. <laughs> all vitamins, do you think? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We're also joined today by a person who is our resident FPL expert, Kelly Summers. And Kelly, I'm getting the feeling that Phil is losing interest in FPL. After last weekend, actually, this weekend just gone, I'm kind of on the brink as well. Do you know what? Confession, this is uh, probably the one week you don't want me on talking FPL because I think everyone had a disaster this week. So including myself, I think I've got about 18 points. What? Average average points was 27 points this week. So that's bad. You know, everyone I know. Yeah. So I I present the podcast for the Premier League and all of us that are on it, like the three of us that are on it, have all got around the same score. So if you're listening to this and you've had an absolute stinker, you're not the only one. Phil, why have you lost interest though? This is very early still to lose interest. I might have said I'm not playing this stupid game anymore a couple of weeks ago just because it's too. We all say it. We don't mean it. No, no. But then I knew you were coming on the podcast. So I, uh, I, I got back into it. I made some changes, subbed some people in. I actually had a really good week last weekend without having changed my team for about a month. I got 88 points. So I was like, okay, I don't need to spend too much attention on it. And then I made all these changes for uh, for this weekend, and I've got 17 points this week. So it's a bit up and down, but no, no, no. I've got to, I've, I've got to, I've got to stick with it because uh, we said we'd do it all week, so all, all season rather. So uh, I'll stick with it. But yeah, it's a bit disheartening this weekend. So Schwartzy, does it mean are you still are you still going with it? I thought yeah. you'd given up by now. No, 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 no. I've kept going. I was pretty confident on the weekend, really. I, I, I have to say, I was. And, <laughs> and like, and then all of a sudden, it's just gone from bad to worse. Like Dan Byrne comes off at half time for Newcastle. Martin Erdegaard, I was at the um, the EFL Cup midweek. He came on the last ten minutes against West Ham, and I thought he's going to start. He's going to play. He doesn't even play. He's not even in the squad. He's injured again. And then obviously but- Harlan gets taken off at half time. I'm like, what is going on here? Thoughts and prayers with everyone who are triple captain Harlan this week. Oh, uh, I know. I've only had one player that's provided returns, and that was was Jared Bowen. At the time of recording, obviously, we haven't seen Spurs play, so I need a miracle from Madison and Son. I sold Van de Ven this week for Simakas, who didn't even start. So if you've had a bad week, it's happened happened to everyone. So, yeah. But, Phil, I I don't want to hear that you've given up. It's too early. Okay. All right. Okay. I'll keep going. I'll keep going. I've got Son as well tonight. So, yeah, uh, maybe maybe we'll get some points there. Yeah. Yeah, I've got got two uh, Spurs players as well, Romero and Saar. I don't know if they're going to give me many points. They're (laughs) in my team anyway. Um, Look, we have to start at St. James's Park, Newcastle against Arsenal, 1-0. Let's start off with Mikel Arteta, um, what he had to say about the VAR decision, which won Newcastle the game. Yeah, we have to talk about the result because you have to talk about how the hell this goal um, stand up and it's incredible. I feel embarrassed, but I have to be the one now coming here to try to defend the club and please ask for help because it's an absolute disgrace that this goal is allowed. It's an absolute disgrace. And on Sunday, Arsenal released this statement. Arsenal Football Club wholeheartedly supports Mikel Arteta's post-match comments after yet more unacceptable refereeing and VAR errors on Saturday evening. The Premier League is the best league in the world with the best players, coaches and supporters, all of whom deserve better. 
PGMOL urgently needs to address the standards of officiating and focus on action which moves us all out from retrospective analysis, attempted explanations, and apologies. Where do we even start with that? I mean, Kelly, I want to start with you. I mean, have we ever seen such a response? I mean, we've seen managers blow up. We've seen managers get upset. We've seen them heated um, after a game. But have we seen to this level and then the club coming out and backing them like they have? Do you know, it was such a surprise when you saw that statement come out, wasn't it? Because you see club statement from Arsenal and you think, like when I, I'm a Watford fan, so when I see club statement, I think they're going to sack the manager. But um, I, thought, I thought, what on earth could it be? And it was one of those statements that took me reading it a few times to realise, oh, wow, like I'm all for clubs backing their managers and, and it's great that they're all singing from the same hymn sheet if you want to look at it from that point of view. But I just don't quite know what, what it's going to achieve. When they wrote that, What what is that going to do? Because... There is conversations that happen behind the scenes. We know that the PGMOL, yes, I know the apologies don't give you points and everything. And I guess they're kind of trying to make a stand, but I feel like the response to it from everyone else has shown that it was an interesting decision and one that no one really fully understands why they released it. Phil, did you feel the same? Did you kind of, were you a bit confused by it? That was the main thing for me. I just, I just don't get the end game of that. I literally had to read it a couple of times as well. Like you, I was just like, what, where is this going? Why are they doing this? I guess they want to... I guess they want to back their man, right? So they're literally backing Mikel yeah. Arteta and, and, and saying, you know, we stand by, we stand by the manager. Um, but it's, it's, I would say maybe it's a worrying precedent actually for, for clubs to be coming out and, and doing this. I, I am someone who prefers to talk about football a lot. Maybe it's because I live in Spain and everybody here always talks about referees and shouts at each other and it's really rather boring and I prefer to talk about football. And now I'm seeing it in England now. We're talking more and more and more about referees. I don't know whether that's to do with VAR or the stakes are so high or everything, but we're increasingly talking about referees. And when clubs are coming out like this and making these kind of statements, it just puts more pressure and more spotlight on them. I don't know, man. Like People make mistakes at work. It happens. It happens to everyone. And this this rant from Mikel Arteta afterwards, all right, it happens in the heat of the moment. You can maybe come out and, and you're upset, but it just felt really, really, it felt unnecessary. It might be understandable, but it's unnecessary. And I don't want to be opportunistic here, but if we go back a few weeks after the Liverpool Spurs game and see the comments that Mikel Arteta made after the very, very big mistake there, he said, we need to give support to referees and understand that mistakes happen. We've made mistakes as well. And if the pressure is so much, then it's very difficult to manage. That's what he was talking about when it wasn't a mistake against him. And then when there's a mistake against him, he comes out and, and says it's a, it's, a, it's a disgrace. I don't know. It just feels like you need to accept that this might be part of the game. It might be like, Kelly, you work on TV, right? Sometimes I work on TV as well. And I work hard to make sure that my presenting is good. But sometimes I throw to something and the editors have put, some, have put the wrong thing out. They put the wrong clip out and you come back and you look silly it's not my mis it's not my mistake it's not my fault someone else has made a mistake but you know we're the ones that look silly or it's bad on us but you just have to accept that in your line of work sometimes mistakes happen sometimes you work hard it's not your fault and stuff happens I don't know maybe I shouldn't re reduce it to that but I'm trying to break it down to something normal every day because at the end of the day it's football they're football managers they're normal people um these kind of things happen I don't know I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? The manager, players, we all, everyone's made mistakes and they make mistakes every single week. Um, I mean, unfortunately for a lot of managers, they won't admit it, right? So Mikel Arteta is a great example of that. Let's not go there with a goalkeeping position because he's made a massive mistake there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it was bizarre. I think it was completely over the top. I understand Mikel Arteta being frustrated being upset, being angry with the decision because it can be interpreted many different ways, I think, or two different ways, a foul or not a foul. The ball out is a different discussion altogether because that's inconclusive. And I think it's close enough to say that there's more likely that it's in than it's out. So they play on. Um, so yeah, I, I, I found it really over the top. And now the, the club to back it is again, even more extreme. And it's starting a precedent, which I don't think is a good one for football in general. So let's get straight to the point. Let's get straight to that moment, the, the big discussion point. I want to know, Phil, firstly, do you think it was a foul? Do you think it shouldn't have stood the goal? 
I mean, yeah, it's a foul. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty clearly a foul. I mean, it, it looks like a pretty obvious foul, but um, th- th- this has happened a lot this season. You know, mistakes made, and this is perhaps the problem with VAR as well that it's interpretative. It's not there to clean everything up a hundred percent. People are going to have to interpret uh, decisions, and I might think it is a foul, but. When before coming on recording, uh, producer Elliot was saying, oh, yeah, well, you know, it might not be such a clear foul. And for me, it's a clear foul, but for him, it's not a clear foul. So mm. it's, it, it's interpretative. And again, I don't want to go back to what we were saying a few weeks ago, but that is the problem with VAR, that we were sold that it was going to come in and it was going to clean up everything and there's not going to be any more mistakes. And at the end of the day, they're still just interpreting uh, decisions. Kelly, is it a case, though... Um we don't hear the discussion from the referee to the VAR official. So does the referee possibly say to the VAR official, I can see there's a slight nudge, but I don't think is enough in his opinion, right? So I think the goal stands for this reason. And if we were to be able to hear that discussion, therefore VAR wouldn't overturn it because they say, look, it's not a clear and obvious mistake because it can be interpreted as a, as a little nudge, then play on, right? So is that possibly also one of the problems? Yeah, we hear it week in, week out, don't we, where we often compare it to other sports and say, but we can hear it in rugby, we can hear it, we know what's going on. And it just it just means that, yes, there's a bit of a debate, but the debate doesn't go on for as long. I mean, it's now Monday morning and we're still talking about something that happened on Saturday night. I think that's what everyone now really wants, extra clarity. You talked there, Phil, about the word interpretative. How many times have we heard the word subjective when we talk mm-hmm. about VAR? Yeah. And nothing was ever going to eliminate every single mistake. And I sometimes wonder if we have the wrong expectations of VAR as well. We, we were never going to get something that was going to completely clean up the game because the beauty of football is it is subjective. Like I can't believe we've had this conversation and no one has brought up already the fact that Kai Havertz, was he lucky to yes. be on the pitch? Yes. So when Mikel Arteta is saying about that decision, it's like, okay, but, but then would you have wanted that Havertz decision to be scrutinised a little bit more? But that was subjective. And I heard it on UK TV described as an amber card. Other people have said, no, it was a red. I, I then heard on a phone-in on the way home on Saturday night, never a red. This is why football is so good. No tool can completely clean up every single incident and we're never all going to agree because let's be honest, it would be incredibly boring. But Mark, if we could understand their thinking, I do think at least then we could go, I don't agree with that, but I I can see where they've got it from. Absolutely. And that's my point, right? I think that's the biggest issue. That that discussion, it's like when I'm watching the other codes, if I'm watching cricket, if I'm watching uh, rugby, you just know what the referee's thinking and you can understand, you get a clearer picture as to why the decision was made in the end rather than just go, they've made a mistake. And, and that's that's the, the issue I have. I mean, going back to what you said there about Kai Havertz, should he have left, you know, been sent off? Yeah, there's a debate. And, and I agree, it's kind of one of those ones. Some will give it, some won't give it. I even think even more, Guimaraes was very, 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 very fortunate. I think that was a bigger mistake. He should have gone for a forearm to the head. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think I think you're. This is the thing. There were so many incidents in that game. That's why when that statement came out from Arsenal, I was like, "Would you really want that ref- that game re-refed, Mikel?" Because I think <laughs> I think there would have been a few things that you wouldn't have still been happy with, and Eddie Howe still wouldn't have been happy with. So I, I just that's what I mean when I say I don't understand that statement really, because well, I, I don't understand he's annoyed. I get that point, but I don't understand. I feel like there's no bigger picture here. I mean, shall we? It, did did Arsenal lose that game or, or not win that game? So what I'm, I'm just trying to do, we're trying to get our teams to win matches. Um, and did Arsenal not win that game because of that um, that decision? No, that's not. Like, look at that game. Go back and watch that game. See how many chances that Arsenal created in that game. It was a controversial decision and it went against them. But you need a bit of um, self-scrutiny as well and awareness, uh, Mikel, that the team did not perform how you would have wanted to. And okay, um, the, the referee didn't perform how you would have wanted him to either in that particular aspect. But if we talk about the football, if we talk about the actual performance, if we talk about the game, uh, it was not a particularly good performance from Arsenal. And to just reduce it down to one refereeing incident and make it all about that, I think is maybe a strategy to deflect away from the performance. But I think we need to talk about the performance as well in the game itself, because it wasn't all just about the referee. Let, let's blame the referee, the officials, for not giving a foul for the goal. And let's not even talk about David Raya's uh part in the goal because I thought he was he was to blame for the goal in, in the end because he was he thought the ball was going out as did most of the players on the pitch it, um, and then except I think the new I can't remember who, which Newcastle player it was that kept the ball in 
Then he was out of position. Then he even got himself even more out of position by taking even further steps forward um, past the near post. And by that stage, he was out of the game. The cross is his all day, all day long. Um, I, I'm going to go so far as say Aaron Ramsdale would not have considered that goal, 100% in my opinion. That is a goalkeeper mistake that Arteta doesn't even want to talk about anymore, even anything to do with David Raya, because he thinks he's made that decision. He's backed himself in a corner because he's also said that he hasn't got a number one, but he's clearly showed by his actions that he's chosen a number one. I just hope that he's had those discussions with Aaron Ramsdale, which I think is unlikely because why would you publicly say that he's no number one, but then you stick with someone and he plays every week and no matter what happens, he's going to play. I think it's just he's backed himself in a corner and he's going to deflect as much as he possibly can. So it leads on to... Are Arsenal going to struggle this season without having an out-and-out number nine, Kelly? I think it's a bit worrying, isn't it? We saw Eddie Nketiah get the hat-trick the week before and there's no doubt that he is a huge talent and will score goals. And for so long, they've they've kind of relied on the creativity of the likes of Bukayo Saka and Martinelli. And I think the last few weeks have kind of coincided with Saka obviously having the injury. I know they won without him. But they're heavily reliant on those players. And when they their creators aren't creating and scoring... Yes, they don't have this out-and-out out number nine. Gabriel Jesus can't seemingly stay fit, it feels like, as well. So, yeah, it does, in answer to your question, Mark, it looks like they've got problems at both ends of the pitch. I do think they've got enough goals in that team, though. I, I think the, I think what's going on with Odegaard is, is quite interesting as well because he's such a key player for them most of the time, too. So I don't I don't really know what's going on there either. I don't, I don't know what you think, Phil. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree with everything you just said there, Kelly. And, and you mentioned Bukayo Saka, who hasn't really been anywhere near the um, the, the form that, uh, because of injury, obviously, but, you know, the form that where he's decisive in, in, in games and he produced a, a brilliant assist for the second goal against uh, Chelsea a couple of weeks ago. And, and uh, that was a moment when you feel like, you know, players who, big players who don't necessarily have good games, but they're decisive in moments, but he hasn't really been decisive in, in games. And I completely agree with what you said. You need players like him uh, chipping in with big performances and big goals to make up for the lap of an out-and-out 25-goal-a-season um, striker. And they're not getting that at the moment. Uh, but yeah, again, I agree with what you said. I think there are probably enough goals in this side to, um, uh, for them to be okay. Now, what is okay? Challenging for the title? Mm, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about that. But um, look at that game again and see how many clear chances they created. There, there weren't. There really weren't that many clear chances created by Arsenal. And there were quite a lot of long balls as well. They were really well pressed by Newcastle. They didn't. It wasn't a comfortable performance from Arsenal at all. Uh, I mean, you talk about... Bakayo Saka, maybe not being the best of form right now, he's got four goals and three assists in 10 games. That's actually good. That's a good return. I mean, okay, you look at the other, the other extreme, and, 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 and Saka's a, a wide player. He's not a striker. I mean, Haaland's 11, guy, 11 goals in 11 games. So that's, that's the level that people are trying to reach. So it's not that they're, they're necessarily way off it. It's a case of, I think, everybody underperformed in that game, certainly in the final third, and that's what cost them in the end. Newcastle, let's give them credit because Newcastle are a good side and they are moving, moving, uh, um, you know, moving the ground a little bit. They're trying to disrupt the norm, obviously, by finishing top four last season. They did that and they're in the Champions League. What's a good season for Newcastle from now on, Kelly? Quite tough, isn't it? Because it depends what they do in the Champions League. Firstly, I've been so impressed with how their injury list is racking up each week. And it doesn't seem to affect them. They still grind out these results. I think Eddie Howe deserves so much credit for the way... It, I mean, I worked with him at Bournemouth and saw what he does. He kind of creates this siege mentality. That's, as well as being a brilliant coach, clearly on the training pitch, he's, he's brilliant at getting his players to play for him. And he's now having to call on players that haven't really been called upon much and maybe thought they weren't going to be playing for Newcastle anymore in this kind of new era of Newcastle in the Champions League. But they're coming in and performing out of their skin. What concerns me a little bit is how long can you go on getting these players to perform like that, to perform way above maybe the levels that they usually play at. So I think Callum Wilson has been exceptional. If he could stay fit regularly, he would 100% be the understudy for Harry Kane at England week in, week out. He's one of the best strikers in the Premier League. It does just feel like at the moment with Newcastle, every week we're like, can, can, they, get, can they get the points here? Because they've got another injury today or there's another thing gone against them. Eddie Howe said it post-match. So kind of depends when they get players back fit because God forbid they lose Callum Wilson at the moment. I think top six for them would be a good season. And 
Depends what happens to them in the Champions League, though, as well, doesn't it? If they go out of the Champions League, then I think they'll still be looking at top four. Phil, one of the issues, I suppose, but, is Isaac, right? Isaac's a great player, was at Real Sociedad. Mm. He's done okay, but the problem, he's done pretty well when he's fit. Um, he's a player that seems to break down pretty easily quite frequently, right? He's done incredibly well when he's fit six goals in, uh, in eight games. But yeah, he had injury problems at, at Real Sociedad and he's having injury problems now. Um, and he is obviously vital. You know, you take a, a 70 million pound striker out of any team and it's, uh, they're, they're, they're going to struggle. But I think as, as Kelly's mentioned, the, uh, the way that the, the squad have handled these setbacks has been impressive. The, have a pretty impressive uh, Carabao Cup run as well. Remember, they've knocked out Manchester City. They've knocked out Manchester United. They've got a difficult draw um, as well in the uh, in the next round. Is it Chelsea they've got in the uh, in the next round? So it's um, it, or has the draw been made? I'm not sure. Yeah, it has, anyway, yeah. It Chelsea has, away. Yeah. Chelsea away. So it's 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 a, it's another difficult one. But you know, talking about what would be a good season for them if they could they could win the Carabao Cup, finish top six. I think for Newcastle. It's a long-term project, that word, project, but it is a project. And to, and to get some silverware, they went close, very close last season. And, and to get some silverware would, uh, would be a, a massive step. So I don't think it's all necessarily about uh, the Premier League. If they could get some domestic silverware as well, that would be a, a big step for them. Um, uh, Kelly, Fulham against Manchester United. Uh, almost Fulham, almost held on. Uh, very <laughs> scrappy goal in the end. Manchester United obviously win it right at the death, but it was a pretty average Manchester United support uh, performance, sorry. And it was an average support from Manchester United. It was amazing support from the fans. There was yes. 3,000 of them there. You know, yeah, that banner in the way end as well. Yeah. But the, the performance was way off it still. And are they just papering over the cracks, Kelly? Just feels like they do this, don't they? They have a really, really bad period and then they get that one result that kind of lifts a little bit of the pressure. We saw it when they played Sheffield United the other week. It wasn't exactly convincing, but they get the win when they need the win. I don't know. I have kind of feel like I've spoken about Manchester United on various platforms so much. Does anyone know what the answer is there now? Because, I mean, I was on a programme over here on Saturday and we were discussing it where it's like all of a sudden now it does feel like Eric Ten Hag's job has been speculated on a bit more, whereas for the past year, we've perhaps all given him a bit of a pass because we know the turmoil that's going on with the ownership and off the pitch there. And we know everything else that's come with being part of Manchester United, not just since Eric Ten Hag's been there, but since, well, should we go back as far as when Sir Alex left? I'm not sure, but for years. And it does just feel like until the problems, until the the ownership and all of that is settled at the club, I just, I just feel like they're always going to be stuck in this perpetual cycle. I mean, Phil, you said it last week when we were at the Derby. Manchester United are living in the past, basically. They, I mean, not in that exact words, but you said they basically, you know, they're nowhere near what they used to be. Yeah. Um, and, and Ten Hag has a hell of a job ahead of him. Is he the right person to do so? He's had problems now with Marcus Rashford. He dropped him because he had a party. He went out after the loss against Schwartz, Manchester apparently City. he was... He was apparently unfit, failed, um, failed a fitness test. So, I mean, I'm not saying I believe everything that every manager tells us, but it's it's tricky, isn't it? Because he was asked about it and he said he failed a fitness test. He was at Craven Cottage. He'd failed the fitness test that morning. So we don't know. But it makes it even worse, right? It makes but, it even worse the fact that he went out after the Manchester Derby loss yeah. and he's not fit to play the next game. If he got dropped, then it's yeah, another true. thing, right? But it doesn't make it worse, Phil. It's horrendous, isn't it? It, is it? What a man goes well, out and celebrates his birthday. Well, I, I don't know. I've I've never really had this, and we've had this loads in Spain as well. And if there's been a you know Real Madrid, I remember once Real Madrid lost to to Atletico Madrid four one, I think, or four 0 and Cristiano Ronaldo had a birthday party that night, and it was you know the biggest scandal that this country's seen. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's that big a deal. I get that the optics aren't good, but you are allowed to celebrate your birthday in your off time after you finish work. Like that's not is everything. Is it? I mean, I where, Schwarzer, where do you stand on this? Because it's interesting. The, I've spoken to player, a few yeah. ex. Yeah, I've spoken, I've spoken to a few ex pros on this. I was working with Glenn Murray on Saturday and Ellen White and Glenn was really, they both were, but particularly Glenn was quite strong on the fact that footballers need an escape footballers, particularly when things aren't going well. And you'd probably put Marcus Rashford in that bracket at the moment that they have the headspace to get out of it. It was pre-planned. And all of those sorts of things. And I can completely see his side, but I can also see your side of it as well. Where, where do you stand on it? Look, if I were in that position, and I've had it, in the, I've had it throughout my career mm. as well, off the back of bad results. So you would have planned something, planned to go out, planned a party celebration, whatever it was. If we've had a bad result, a bad performance, if I've played badly, 
I wouldn't have gone out. I would have cancelled. Is that I would why you never went out during your career? No, never. <laughs> <laughs> I would have rearranged. I, I would have said, okay, actually, you know what? We're not going to go out to the restaurant. Come to my house. I don't understand why he doesn't just use a little bit of common sense in that regard because they're under such a spotlight as it is. And I get what Glenn Murray's saying. I agree. You need an out, but you don't need an out in public in Manchester, which is pretty small as well. There's two clubs really and you're just opening yourself up to even more criticism than what you've already received because you haven't had a good season so far. You've had a bad, bad result against your biggest rival and you go out and you're in the public eye. And it's just, for Manchester, you got to think about it from a, from a supporter's point of view. It feels like for a lot of these supporters, you are rubbing it in their face to a degree. I just, I feel that you have to use a little bit of common sense, even though I agree that you should be allowed to go off and do your own thing. But you're different. You're different. You're a different pedestal. You can't. Yeah, I, I, I completely understand what you're saying, and there's a lot of logic to it. I just think that when you're saying you're on a different pedestal, I think that's maybe a bit of a problem that we do, and we put footballers yes. in this pedestal, and they're just normal people who do an extraordinary job and live extraordinary lives. But at the end of the day, they're just normal people. And if a guy wants to go out and celebrate his birthday after he's finished work, then I don't think it's a it's a, it's a huge problem. But I do fully understand what you're saying. They, we, we are normal people. But the environment creates uh, a, a different perspective on players. And also there are the, the, the extreme examples of the superstars who can't be normal because they, it just is impossible. <laughs> you know, Cristiano Ronaldo being normal in Madrid is impossible. Madrid players, let's just go far as saying all the Madrid players, it's impossible for them to have a normal day's life. Um, I mean, we talked about the documentary a couple of weeks yeah. ago, right? We talked about yeah, yeah. David Beckham taking his kids to school. He got harassed. He got chased. And I think for a lot of these people, not that they may get the same extent, but they, they, they're in the spotlight and people are not going to let leave them alone. Mm. Um, so I get it. And you no, I mean, leave. listen, I mean, guess maybe it is, it is one of the things that you have to deal with is that uh, what comes with having this extraordinary life and this massive wealth and this huge spotlight is that you can't behave like a normal person. But I just feel that maybe we should give them a little bit of a pass sometimes and, and, and not elevate them to a status right of, 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 yeah, maybe at the right time. Yeah. Not I also losing. understand, I also understand why Ten Hag had to say what he had to say about it, because I think he had to be shown to, to the fans, to the people that are upset that Mark's mentioned there, mm. look, this isn't right, because then otherwise people would have said he's got no control, he's got no discipline. So I also do understand. I wonder how hard Ten Hag went on him behind the scenes. Obviously, we'll never know. But I, I wasn't surprised when I read Ten Hag's quotes because I was like, that's what the fans want you to say. So this game against Fulham, um, I, I have to confess, so I was I was watching it with my boys, six, and at the same time as this game, there was Osasuna against Girona in La Liga. So obviously I'm trying to be across, <laughs> across everything and I'm flicking between the two. And my son, who wanted to watch both, and we'd been at Old Trafford last week and I brought him back the Manchester United hat and he was sort of, oh yeah, I want to watch Manchester United. And after half an hour, he goes, Daddy, this is really boring. Let's put Osasuna Girona on. And it was much more entertaining, that game, which we can talk about later, than this game. I mean, Fuller Manchester United was not an entertaining spectacle of football. There was very, very little in it. United created really very few chances and they got out of jail again very late on as they did against Brentford. Uh, they, you know, that victory against Sheffield United wasn't convincing. They got out of jail thanks to uh, Onana in the, uh, in the uh, Champions League against Copenhagen as well. It has been a run of fixtures that they have just been whole, wholly unconvincing, wholly unconvincing. Even in victories, they've not played well and you haven't come away thinking, uh, oh, yeah, you know, um, there's something to build on here. I don't think there's anything to build on really here. And OK, there have been some injuries and maybe if Casemiro comes in and things might change. I don't know. But the, the, And we're looking at the running order here of the podcast that the producers put, could this be a turning point for Manchester United? And I feel like we've asked that question so many times this season. Is this going to spur them on? To something else and the answer is i really don't think so they do have a relatively comfortable run of fixtures now they're away to copenhagen home to luton and away to everton but they phil sh- how long have we been saying that for yeah. Yeah, i'm an yeah, fpl yeah. manager yeah, yeah. as we discussed before and we <laughs> keep players based on their form yeah but mainly the fixtures and with manchester united managers held on to bruno and rashford for so long because oh they've got sheffield united and as you said This weekend, they had Fulham away. Manchester Mm. United in form should go there really confident. We should be loading up our FPL teams. They've got Copenhagen when they have to win this week. Then it's Luton. Then after the international break, it's Everton. Everton have hit some form. I don't know how many points I fancy them getting from those games all of a sudden. So 
it just feels like they'll probably get enough just to just to push this problem off a little bit further. It feels like they're always kicking the can down the road is the phrase that I often use. I held on to Rashford so long, man. So long. I got rid of him <laughs> last week. I got rid of him last week, but I held on Good. because of that, because of what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, let's move on to the uh, preseason prediction podcast recap because Kelly's obviously joined us again. You were part of that, Kelly. Let's firstly start with player to watch. This is always this is always awkward, isn't it? These, these periods of time, you go back and go, Kelly, you picked Nicholas Jackson. This is terrible. And Phil, you agreed with with um, with Kelly as well. So Chelsea fans should be really excited to see him. What are your comments? Come on. Tell I think story. they were for a bit, weren't they? Yeah. There's some aspects of this player really exciting, just unfortunately not the goal scoring. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think any of us, we were all, in particular, when we go through all of these predictions, I clearly had so much hope and expectation for Chelsea under Maurizio Pochettino. And you know what? I still do. I just think it's going to take a lot, lot longer than everyone thought. You can't go through the change at the top, the change throughout the whole club that that club went through and expect instant results. And... Maybe I did. Maybe I was naive, like a lot of fans. And we're going to see just how naive with the rest of my predictions as well. Um, I think the injuries, particularly up front at the start of the season, also affected them. So I think, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm digging a hole, trying to dig myself out of this hole here. It was a bad <laughs> prediction, Phil. We, we, we didn't get it right, did we? <laughs> not, 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 not that one, or indeed seemingly any other ones. But yeah, that one was uh, not, 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 not that good. Um, the thing is about Nicholas Jackson, I think I remember saying on the podcast, what I liked about him at Villarreal last season was that he was so quick at his decision-making. When he was in the box, it was one-touch shoot, or he knew exactly what he wanted to do in the right moment. And what I feel worried about is that game against Arsenal when they were 2-0 up, he was through on goal, they sh- he should have scored to make it 3-2 and I didn't see that speed of thought or decision making that I was used to seeing and maybe the whole um, environment is it's too it's too big for him too much pressure on him I don't know but he didn't look like the player that I saw at the back end of last season in La Liga but you mentioned Paul Torres um, Phil also I did as a player yeah. yeah and and what are you yeah. thinking so far I mean he's done okay right think so. No, I mean, he's been started almost every game for uh, Villa and been part of um, a side that has uh, played some really good football under Unai Emery uh, playing out uh, from the back. He's um, yeah, I, th- I think he's he's done OK. He's done. He's done pretty good. Um, I think Aston Villa fans will be pretty pleased with him and, and how their side have have done. I, I, I kind of believed in him more because of the connection that he has with Unai Emery and the fact that they worked together before. And he knows exactly what the manager wants from him. And he has slotted into that system previously. And, and it's taken a little while for Emery to, to get going. And obviously at the weekend, they had a bit of a setback. But um, I think they've been playing uh, really well. And he's been a, a key part of that. So uh, I'm, I'm relatively pleased with that. With that, with that prediction so far, uh, 12 to, to 11 games in. Yeah, I went with Dominic Slobberslai and I'm pretty happy with that yeah. because I think he's done absolutely brilliantly so far. And um, he is, I mean, I was at the game yesterday against Luton and him and McAllister in midfield, they're, they're a real, they're such a good buy for, for Liverpool. And um, I mean, if you look at their ages, I think Slobberslai, I think it's 24, I think, and, and or 22, 23, 24. He's 23. 23. Uh, McAllister is 24. So, I mean, they've got, a big, big future ahead of them uh, at Liverpool. Relegation. This is always tough, isn't it? It's th- there's, there's, a, there's a tendency just to go with the three that got promoted to go back down. And that's actually what I said in my prediction. Luton, Sheffield United. Um, actually, no, I went with Bournemouth. I said Burnley would stay up. And I would like to change that, actually. Um, I, I'd say that Burnley are not what, staying up. and I think You can't change your pre-season prediction. I know. I, I would like to add Yeah, do you Burnley not think in. I would have just changed Jackson? <laughs> I know. But I'd like to add Burnley in there and take Luton out after seeing Luton yesterday. Do you know what? I may have done really badly with these predictions. But the Ooh, one thing I said was that I thought Luton were going to stay up. And then I kind you of did. backtracked a bit and said they won't be as bad as people think. And I mm. kind of stand by that. And mm. you clearly agree with me. They, they for me, have been the best newly promoted team. I think it's surprised everyone. Just, I think we all got a bit blinded maybe by just how good Burnley were in the championship. And obviously it's one of the biggest jumps in world football, isn't it, going from the championship to Premier League. But also the Vincent Company factor. I think we all just thought, well, he knows how to win the Premier League. He can keep a team in it. 
very, very different, isn't it? And yeah. I think what is it now? Six straight home defeats. <laughs> the first team in Premier League history to suffer that. Um, yeah, they've been really, really disappointing. So I just wanted to give a shout out to Luton. <laughs> Don't I get mean, that very often from a Watford fan. but Just quickly, let me yeah. just say, Kelly, you predicted Sheffield United, Crystal Palace and Fulham. That is way off the mark. Cause Palace and but Fulham in brackets, can you... Producer Elliot has put here, she then backtracked on her Luton Bowl prediction to stay up later, but said they won't finish bottom. So yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna take that. Are you? Don't leave that you, out. You have yeah. to. You have to take something because those predictions are pretty poor, let's be honest. Sheffield United are going down still now. Yes, I agree. That's, you've got one out of three. That's not bad. And, and Phil. Okay, let's move on. So yeah. uh, we'll <laughs> fill Nottingham Forest and Brentford ahead as well as Luton. I think you got that one wrong as well, mate. Yeah, I th- I, the Brentford was a wild one. I admitted that. I just it was sort of you know looking at Ivan Tony not being in the team and yeah. and, and and drawing some pretty um, pretty poor conclusions. No, they've been uh, they've been impressive and Bamo has been sensational and um, he's he's been in my FPL team constant all, all, all season and getting loads of points. Um, and Nottingham Forest have um, have overachieved uh, away from home because I was looking at their away form and they had a really really difficult start to the season, but they managed to they managed to win at Chelsea and their uh, away form last season was so ab- abysmal and then they managed to uh, pick up some other points as well. And at home, they've actually made um, City ground like a bit of a fortress, to be honest. They're, uh, are they unbeaten at home? Um, I think they might be unbeaten at home and they've been picking up loads of points at home. So yeah, the the, the fans are, are really behind uh, uh, Steve Cooper and he was saying yesterday, you know, the game against uh, Aston Villa, they were they were really up for it. That transmitted to the players and they got a, they got a big win. So their home form is um, is keeping them well out of trouble at the moment. And what are they? Um, there are was it nine points or something? No, maybe seven points above the relegation zone. It's um, it's looking all right for Forest at the moment. I don't think you can judge Nottingham Forest on a result of winning away at Chelsea because I think just about every team's done that this season. Um, that's how bad Chelsea have been at home. Um, we all said Manchester City is going to win the league. Uh, do we all stand by that? No. Nope. Yes. Ooh. Oh. Oh, he's going Spurs, isn't Spurs, he? Spurs, obviously. Yeah, yeah come on. Yeah. It's free to dream. Let's just dream. Just get, yeah. get, get, get carried away. It's fine. It, just enjoy it. A lot, haven't you? You've yeah. been listening to him a lot. But, but literally the whole point of football is to try and sort of enjoy the ride. So yes. I'm not just going to sit there going, no, we're going to blow it. We're going to blow it. We're going to blow it. I'm saying, yeah, we can win it. Let's go and try, you know, so why yeah. not? Absolutely. Uh, look, I, th- I think it's going to be, look, I, I hope Spurs are there come the end of the season, last four or five games, they've still got a chance. I just don't think it's possible. But, you know, but I, I, I do hope we've got a very tight season, a tight uh, run into the, to the title. Man City's going to be there or thereabouts for sure. And I think Liverpool's probably the next best position to fit squad, players, all that sort of stuff, even though the result yesterday wasn't the best. Um, let's move on to the WSL. The Women's Super League was back in action again this weekend with live coverage of every game and our women's football rap show every Monday in Optus Sport with Narelle and Ash. Let's hear what they had to say. Thanks, guys. Well, big news this week surrounding Chelsea in more than one way, Ash. They go to the top of the WSL table with a massive win over Aston Villa. Yeah, massive 6-0 win. And it's, it's amazing what you can do with a rotated squad. Like, the quality just keeps coming up. They had some... New players in there and still a 6-0 win. Goals from a, multiple different people in there. It's just, it's impressive what Chelsea can do. They didn't even need Sam Kerr. Didn't even need, It's a luxury, isn't it, to be able to rest her and still score six goals. So, you know, she, that way she stays fresh for when they really do need her later in the season, in Champions League, whatever it might be. Aston Villa have been struggling. They sit bottom of the table. They've got zero points. And sometimes when you see a good team like Chelsea come up against a more average team, they struggle, yeah. but that wasn't the case. And I think that speaks volumes. Yeah, it does. And I think Aston Villa clearly looked down on confidence, don't they? Like, I think once a few goals went in, they started to put their heads down a little bit, which is a bit of a shame for Carla Ward's team. But, you know, Chelsea, there's a lot of competition for starting spots. So anyone that comes in, they want to do a good job so that they can sort of grab hold of more game time, I think, with Emma Hayes' side, which is, you know, super competitive. And if you're a manager, that's exactly what you want. Speaking of Emma Hayes, a bit of news surrounding her. She is set to leave Chelsea at the end of the season. She spent the best part of a decade there, guiding them to countless trophies. And one of the jobs she's rumoured to be going into is the US Women's National Team gig. Yeah, the only trophies she hasn't managed to get with Chelsea is the Champions League. So I'm sure that's what they're shooting for this year. But yeah, the US job is the one she's more most heavily linked to. I don't think any paperwork's been signed yet. But it seems like it's a massive job, maybe the biggest job in women's football, right? So you're hoping that if she's leaving Chelsea, it's for a good reason and for a big opportunity. And I think, you know, there's none bigger than the US job. And we'll wait and see if she does get that gig. 
Do you think she can turn that US team around? Because they've been struggling recently. It is interesting, isn't it? Because at Chelsea, she gets some of the best players in the world, doesn't she? And a lot of technical players. And I'm not saying that all of um, America's team aren't technical, but their strengths in the past have relied a lot on physical strengths. So maybe, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how she reshapes that team and what it looks like under her guidance and what she can get them doing. Yeah, well, a lot of pressure, though. The Olympics aren't that far away. But, yeah, big move on the horizon for Emma Hayes. And Mark Kelly feels she's not just leaving a huge hole in Chelsea in the league, but also a big loss for Europe. Yeah, Narelle, definitely. She's going to leave a massive, massive hole at Chelsea. I mean, 11 years at the club, I and mean, it's six WSL titles, um, other FA Cup trophies and, and Cup League Cup trophies. So, of course, someone being in a club for so long. When I think about that, I think of... Sir Alex Ferguson, Arsene Wenger, being in the club for so long, mm. being so successful, and how long it took or has taken and still taking the clubs to get back to any sort of level of success. Yeah, it does It does make you wonder where Chelsea go next. I think her, her kind of strength lies beyond just what she can do on the pitch. As you said, 13 titles, I think it is, at Chelsea now. They've won the last four in the WSL. She's been incredible. She has made sure that club have dominated English football. Yes, the Champions League has eluded her, but everything else that she's done away from the pitch as well. When you see how long she's been involved in the game and how many changes have occurred, she's been at the forefront of a lot of those changes. I think, for example, she was the first manager to really speak up about player welfare and, and the menstrual cycle and how it can affect female players. She's not afraid of putting her head above the parapet and saying things that maybe other managers don't want to say. She wants to enforce change and for the women's game to keep growing as it has done and needs to continue to do so, we need women and managers like her that want to do that. And I know from speaking to other people within the game in England, she's often seen as a bit of a mentor and someone that a lot of other coaches look up to and she helps other coaches and she wants this game to continue to grow and we need more Emma Hayes. And I hope now that she is leaving these shores and it will be incredibly sad come May when she does finally depart Chelsea and we don't get her brilliant press conferences every week and we don't get her opinions and we don't get her pushing for change I hope that other women and other coaches within the game kind of take on her mantle and follow the lead that she's set because the women's game need more Emma Hazers. Uh, Kelly's a potentially a massive problem for, for Chelsea because I think is it fair to say a lot of players have signed for Chelsea not because necessarily Chelsea but because of Emma Hayes? Potentially yes I think Emma Hayes one of her main skill sets, obviously, we worked with Tanya Oxtoby on the Women's World Cup this summer, and she's obviously departed Chelsea now for Pastures New, but she said that Emma's recruitment was incredible. She can spot a player. She can bring a player over to Chelsea. And if you go to Chelsea, I'm sure one of the big draws is playing for one of the best managers in the world, because I'm not overhyping anything here. She is one of the best managers in the world because of everything I just said, not just because she produces on the pitch. Also, let's be honest, like Chelsea, every season don't start that well. They've always got players coming back late. She gets results. She knows how to win. She is a born winner, even when that team isn't playing well. She also manages to keep so many players happy. The strength of that Chelsea squad year in, year out is ridiculous. And at so many other clubs, would those the calibre of players that are sitting on her bench week in, week out be happy? No, but that's what she's good at. Look at what she's done with the likes of Lauren James. I know that she's had to really mentor her and get the best out of her. And she could be one of the best players in the world. And Emma Hayes will take a lot of credit for that and deserve a lot of credit for that. She's brought through these wonderful players. The way she's handled Fran Kirby and all the issues she's had with her family and her health over recent years, that is what Emma is really good at. And so, yeah, Chelsea aren't just replacing a manager that's going to guarantee them titles because, make no mistake, that's what Emma Hayes does. They're also kind of losing a mother figure at the club, to be honest, and someone that does so much more than just what we see on a Saturday or Sunday on the football pitch. And if they were to win this title this season, that would be possibly the biggest achievement because the WSL is probably at its strongest than it's ever been, right? Yeah, I would say so. I thought, I think Manchester City are the other team, their main contenders on current form. Um, I thought it was a brilliant game this weekend between Arsenal and Manchester City. Arsenal won, but I think City can find themselves feeling very, very unlucky on this Monday morning. Um, they were brilliant. They were also so unlucky the other week against Chelsea as well. Came so close to finally beating them um, up in Manchester. So yeah, there's there's two or three teams there that are really good. Manchester United have had a brilliant game against Brighton this weekend. Not quite at the levels they were at, I don't think. I think Chelsea will win it. I think Emma Hayes will make sure Chelsea will win it. She would have made sure they'd won it anyway, but she definitely will now. 
now. And all of those players, as you said, Mark, that wanted to sign for Chelsea for Emma Hayes are going to want Emma Hayes to go out. They will win the FA Cup. They will probably win the League Cup this season as well. Watch out other teams here in England because Emma Hayes and Chelsea, I think, are going to be the team to beat. They're going to want to win everything this year now. It's La Liga time. Phil, and you're always watched your own campaign rolls on. They won 4-2 at the weekend. <laughs> How entertaining was that? I mean, they did, what, they came from behind, didn't they? Yeah, so they took the lead away to Osasuna and then they were 2-1 down with 20 minutes to go and they scored uh, three goals in the last 20 minutes. So I told you a few weeks ago, hashtag always watch Girona because they are the most entertaining team in La Liga. But it's not just that they're the most entertaining team in La Liga. They're the best team in La Liga. They're top. They're top of the table, two points clear at the top of the table uh, with 12 matches played. It is an unbelievable story. It almost certainly won't last, but I think it's just, <laughs> it almost certainly won't last. But like I said about Spurs, you know, it's nothing, it's free to dream. If you want to dream about a Girona making some sort of big splash and doing a Leicester, it is possible. Their manager is an unbelievably talented guy called Michel. After 12 games, two seasons ago, they were 19th in the second division two seasons ago. Now, after 12 games, they are top two points clear in La Liga. It's an incredible turnaround. Yeah, they're part of the City group. Yeah, they do have that investment behind them. But you look at the team, it's not like a huge amount of money has poured into this. It's not like they've got massive players on loan from loads of teams in that group. They've had a bit of help, sure, but it's not uh, egregious. It doesn't feel like they've um, really um, adulterated the competition with what they're doing, even though you might be against uh, multi-group uh, corporation ownership, fair enough. But what Juran are doing are is incredible and okay the city group have probably helped along but it's not that's not the only explanation by any stretch of the imagination it's a ridiculous story if they get into the champions league this season it will be unbelievable and at the moment they're two points clear at the top it will never last where have i heard that before 2015 <laughs> 16 leicester city you mentioned it there is that even possible i mean look this is a thing right the parallels are so uncanny in terms of it'll never last Everyone talks about how Madrid have let it slip, how Barcelona have let it slip, how Letico are not at that level as they have been in the past, possibly. That was the same things that were going on uh, back here in the Premier League in 15-16 season. And the longer it goes on, the longer that they maintain that position near the top, around the top, the more there's a chance, there's a potential Leicester um, you know, take two. It's true. Uh, the longer they're there, I mean, if we get to Christmas and they're still there, if we get, I mean, I do genuinely remember what was happening uh, in the UK with Leicester at that time and, and people saying it's not going to last and very famous uh, Leicester supporting pundit Robbie Savage was on the uh, radio every week saying it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen, it can't happen, two weeks to go saying it's not going to happen and then it actually finally happened. Um, I don't think anyone in Girona is dreaming of winning the league. Genuinely, I don't think anybody thinks that it is possible, but I think they've definitely given themselves a brilliant chance of getting into the Champions League. And they've almost guaranteed European football now, because if you look at the gap that they have uh, between themselves and sixth place, sixth place gets into Europe, um, they're 11 points ahead of the sixth place team. They're, they're in a really, really strong position. Um, it, would be it would be bigger than Leicester. It would be bigger than Leicester if Girona won La Liga. It's only 12 games. There are still a huge amount of points up for grabs. But it's, a, it's an extraordinary story, w whatever happens. And it's given these fans something to um, dream about. And like I said, that's what football's all about. And there's been some great games over the weekend uh, in La Liga. Real Sociedad against Barcelona, highly entertaining. Real Sociedad, oh my God. How did they not win this game? Teo Stegen was absolutely outstanding. 26 seconds in, he made his first Huge save. It was a big save as well. How did they not win this game, Mark? Um, Real Sociedad didn't take their chances. They are a brilliant team. They're just lacking a killer goal scorer. Um, but they're a really, really tremendously exciting, well-coached side. They created so many chances against Barcelona, but Barcelona have Ter Stegen. And then, almost inevitably, Barcelona scored in the final minute of uh, injury time. Beautiful ball over the top from Gundogan, headed home by Ronald Araujo, initially given offside. VAR came in and said that it wasn't offside. And um, Barcelona picked up a rather unlikely uh, three points, but it's difficult to watch a game like that and not come away with the conclusion, wow, Real Sociedad are a properly good team. And Barcelona at the moment really aren't.
Real Sociedad also will be, they'll be devastated they lost this game because, I mean, they had a massive shout for a penalty. Uh, Yazabal uh, came under a challenge from Jules Kunde. It was, for me, it was definitely a penalty. You know what? But Oyarzabal, after the game, um, actually said uh, maybe it's not enough for a penalty to be given. The manager, Imanol Aguafil, didn't want to get involved in the conversation either. Said, you know, if we lost, it's because the other team um, deserved to win. Didn't get involved in it. So that's even more credit to Real Sociedad because it looked like a very, very, very clear penalty. But the guy who was fouled didn't want to get involved in it. And the manager also didn't want to get involved in the competition, in the discussion. So it's even more reason for you to like a Real Sociedad because they play exceptionally well and then they don't want to get drawn into this refereeing scandal nonsense. So uh, chapeau to them. It was a 94th minute goal uh, and it was a brilliant ball for Milkay Gundogan. He's backing up, you know, that leadership quality, the quality he has, talking about how disappointed he was that players weren't more upset after El Clasico defeat. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons, I guess, why he was brought in as well, his uh, leadership qualities and his winning mentality, which has uh, been evident throughout his uh, career, but also because he is uh, an exceptional midfielder and the ball he played in for Ronald Araujo to, uh, to head home in the 94th minute is uh, of immense quality. There wasn't a good performance from Barcelona, not particularly. I mean, they threw the kitchen sink at uh, Real Sociedad in the last five minutes or so, as you would expect. They put Araujo as a big centre-back up as a... Uh, auxiliary centre forward uh, in the final few minutes and they got the goal but it wasn't particularly convincing from Barcelona Phil you've spoken about how good Real Sociedad were what's the quality of La Liga like this season especially if we kind of compare it to the Premier League yeah um it's, it's, <laughs> that pause says it all. <laughs> it, it, it might not be vintage. I think it's clear to clear that Real Madrid and Barcelona aren't at their best. I think Atletico Madrid are a, are a very good team, and they've got a good chance of of winning the title if they um, if they can get some consistency. But they lost away to Las Palmas this weekend in a, a really really poor performance. So they can they can sometimes throw in really bad performances just when they need to not do that. So maybe they don't have the consistency. I think maybe well, it's very difficult to compare leagues and divisions isn't it maybe the only mm. barometer that we have maybe is, is is european competition and in the in the champions league barcelona are, are pretty comfortable top of their group real madrid are pretty comfortable top of their group the only english spanish clash we've had is sevilla against arsenal and arsenal won that 2-1 but sevilla finished 12th in la liga last season they finished 12th they won the europa league and they finished 12th <laughs> they're, they're not one of the top yeah. sides uh, in la liga real sociedad are are um, top of their group ahead of Inter Milan and Benfica. So I think generally speaking, there is still quality in 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 La Liga, and you can see that when with the sides performing in um, in Europe. But the two big sides, Real Madrid and Barcelona, I think it's fair to say that it's not vintage uh, Real Madrid or Barcelona. And Real Madrid have been very reliant on Jude Bellingham and, and his goals. And when he doesn't score. Real Madrid uh, tend to not win, which is what happened yesterday. Mm, I was going to say, because obviously, so I, I work closely with England over here and I've interviewed you Bellingham a number of times and I could sit here all day and wax lyrical about him and I make no bones about the fact I was gutted when he went to La Liga in the summer because I wanted to see him over here week in, week out so we could really appreciate how good he is. You know, he's not coming Are back for doing... a while. He's not no, coming back. No, I know. He actually so... said that on the last international <laughs> yeah. break. I've given up on that. And actually <laughs> watching him go and do what he's doing, and I kind of feel the same about Harry Kane as well, is is incredible. And I think we'll only take those players to a better level. But are we getting caught up in the hype? I mean, I don't watch every minute of every Real Madrid game. Is he as important as it sounds like he is to Real? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been absolutely, absolutely massive to Real Madrid. And it's, I don't want to say that he's been carrying this team because it may be a little bit hyperbolic. But at the same time, if you look at the amount of goals that he scored and those goals, last minute winner against Barcelona, last minute winner against Getafe, last minute winner against Union Berlin, very, very late winner against Celta Vigo. His goals have directly given Real Madrid a huge amount of points. Um and he's been um, he's been exceptional in every aspect, both on and off the pitch. It's not easy to play at Real Madrid at mm -hmm. all. It's not easy to deal with the pressure. It's not easy to go to the Bernabeu and to just slot in as he's done. And um, it's been exceptional. It's been historic. What he's done has been historic. Like genuinely, maybe no one has ever done this before at this level at that age. And he is do doing it. Um, having said that, there are some games where he he hasn't scored. Not many. 
couple of games he hasn't scored in. How dare he? How dare yeah. he not score? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Um, but I mean, we're making a joke about it, but it's almost like Real Madrid have been really reliant on those goals. And, and I gave you the list there and, and the number of points that he's directly been involved in. Take those points out and Real Madrid are, are mid-table. So he has been huge for them. But like I said, last night, he wasn't able to score and Real Madrid drew nil-nil with Raya Vallecano. So there we go. How did that go, Phil? Because obviously in your household, there's a bit of, there's a bit of conflict, right? You're a Real Vallecano season ticket holder. Your son supports Real Madrid. How did that get on? So my son is trying to support Real Madrid, but obviously my job is to try and make him support Arayo. So listen, I got him the season ticket. He comes, he supports Rio as well as Real Madrid. Last night, he was watching it with his Jude Bellingham shirt and his Rio Vallecano shorts. So it was, um, it was, it was split. <laughs> then he went to, he went to bed at halftime because it was, it was, it was late for a, for a six year old and he woke up and he could not believe that it had ended nil uh, nil. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is one of the most mismatched cross-city derbies in the world, Real Madrid and Rio Vallecano. Like, I don't even think you could call it a derby. It's it's just so r- r- ridiculously... Dis- the disparity between the two sides is absurd. Uh, and for Rio to go there and get their first point at the Bernabeu in 23 years, because they'd, they'd lost 11 consecutive games at, at the Bernabeu. They'd been good at home against Real Madrid and Barca, but away, a uh, different story. And to go there, to be really, really organised and to get a, a good point is, uh, is like a victory. It's like, a, it's like winning a trophy almost for, uh, for, for Rio, because they are so far away from Real Madrid, not geographically, but they, it's almost like they inhabit a different footballing galaxy. So it was a, a massive, massive performance from them. But, but they needed uh, Real Madrid to, to miss fire, right? Valverde, huge chance, five minutes in, one-on-one with the goalkeeper. Dimitrievski was excellent. Real Madrid had 63% possession, 22 shots on, uh, well, 22 shots, but only five on target. I mean, in Vinicius Jr., he missed what, from five yards? Phil. He, yeah, but he had a quiet game, Vinicius, and he was uh, kept under wraps by uh, Andre Ratiu. Ever heard of him? No, no, understandably. No, neither had I. But he was making his debut uh, in La Liga, and his debut in La Liga is a way to Real Madrid to mark Vinicius, and he did amazingly well uh, to keep Vinicius not necessarily in his pocket, but to keep him from. Uh, producing too many uh, moments of uh, of brilliance. So yeah, if Fede Valverde scores early on, then perhaps it's a, it's a different game. But he didn't. Uh, Rio defended very very well, and this La Liga title race is 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 really quite open. We've spoken about Girona uh, are up there. They're two points ahead of uh, uh, Real Madrid, four points ahead of Barcelona, and six points ahead of Atleti, who do have a gaming hand. So it's nice to see someone else uh, battle for uh, that 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 top four. Real Madrid, Barca or Atleti are probably going to win the league. I don't think it's ridiculous to say that one of those three are going to win the league, but I don't know which one. At this moment, I couldn't tell you in time who I think is the favourite. Pre-season, I said Real Madrid are favourites. They're above Barca and Atleti at the moment, uh, but none of them are are firing on all cylinders, so it's open. I think you said last week as well that Real Madrid would still win. So this week you've gone to, I don't know who's going to win it. So you've dropped... You've gone back onto the fence, right? I think you might have put me on the spot saying, you know, are Real Madrid going to win the league? And, you know, okay, maybe, yeah, probably. But it's, 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 it's open. It's, it's, it's open, which is nice, which is nice. You know, uh, an open title race is, is, is good, for the, good for the division and good for people watching on Optus Sport. Rafa Benitez is a man under a huge amount of pressure, hasn't gone to plan at Celta Vigo. I mean, talk us through what happened on the weekend because, again, he's in the spotlight even more. Maybe not necessarily for the performance of the team, but for some of his comments. Okay, so Celta Vigo drew 1-1 with uh, Sevilla. But what happened was, uh, in injury time, Celta Vigo were awarded a penalty. Jesus Navas was a judge to have pulled down uh, Greek centre-forward Tassos Duvikas in the uh, six-yard box, penalty given. But the VAR calls the referee and says, come and have a look at this, see if you think there's enough contact there for a, uh, a penalty to be given. And the referee actually changes his mind, much to the astonishment and fury of the Celta Vigo management and substitutes bench. Iago Aspas uh, was on the substitutes bench. He'd gone off. He pushed over the VAR monitor. He was so angry. Then Rafa goes on a, a rant, which is a pretty, I think it's going to be a pretty famous rant. It's maybe not going to be up there with facts. But yesterday, and I've translated it from Spanish, he said, 
Force equals mass times acceleration. Force is measured in newtons. How much is enough to knock someone over? 10 newtons, 12 newtons. We need to add a, a physicist to the VAR to measure strength. We'll put him in the VAR room, a physicist, um, suggesting that uh, uh, that's how they need to measure if a player gets knocked over or not in the, in the penalty area. He's under massive pressure. Celta Vigo feel like there is a refereeing campaign against them. And we go back to where we started this podcast about clubs complaining about uh, refereeing. But I can tell you, Celta Vigo think there's a campaign against them. Granada weren't happy at the weekend. Mallorca weren't happy at the weekend. Real Madrid do a video about the referee every single week on their in-house TV channel. It's universal. And it's, I don't know, it's, they, 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 can't be in, they can't have it in for everyone, right? So, I don't know. Let's talk about the football. Yeah, it's good to hear that actually everyone has the same issues, not just in the <laughs> Premier League, uh, certainly of late. And Rafa Benitez, whoa, got a big job on his hands to try and turn things around at the Celta Vigo. Uh, that's all we've got time for today, guys. Thank you very much, Phil, for joining us as usual. Pleasure, my friend. And Kelly, wonderful to see you again. And uh, thank you very much for your ball predictions. Um, well, certainly going over <laughs> your ball predictions. I love, uh, I love seeing you squirm a little bit under those predictions. Don't give up on the FPL teams, guys. Don't give up. Not yet. Thanks. We needed that pep talk. We needed yeah. it. I'm, yeah, I'm, that I'm, was inspiring. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, anyway, a reminder that every game of the Premier League, La Liga and Women's Super League are all live and exclusive on Optus Sport. Thanks for your company on the Optus Sport football podcast. See you next time.